Hello and welcome. Oh, wait, I don't know the name of your book. What's the name of your book? Yeah, my, my book is called When Breath Becomes Air. To and what ta- Nick, what time do you have to get out of here next? And Sorry. when breath to help me learn about when breath nope. becomes air are two high school English teachers, Ian and Joe, when breath becomes air. Is that really how we're starting? Ian okay, and it's Joe. Good. Yeah, my name is Joe Holshue. Hi, Nick. I brought a book called When Breath Becomes Air. Um, it was a super famous book when it came out. It was published in 2016. And it is about kind of an accidental. We've had accidental cop outs before on this show. This is a kind of an accidental real episode. Yeah, look unprofessional. Love it. Love it. it does. Yeah. It, but, uh, this is a, a man dying of cancer, a neurosurgeon dying of cancer. This book is about Jesus. Okay. <laughs> uh, this looks like a really interesting book. I mean, I, you're going to introduce yourself. Ian? Yeah. Hello. It's, it's me, Dr. Ian DeYoung. I didn't read when breath becomes air, but I'm really, that's not going to keep me from talking about it. Like I know what I'm saying. <laughs> See how he does that Joe? See how he does that? Uh, <laughs> what? Nice and tight. Is that what you're saying? Nice and tight. Hi, my name is Joe Holshue. I write a book. This is what it's about. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs>, 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 <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, so this one sounds fun. When um, when breath becomes air, is that what you said? When breath becomes air. Which, by the way, great title. Great. Just title like last week, it kind of tells you what what you're what you're in for, you know you're which is into. the function of a kind title. Well, but like think about it, right? It's it's breath when it's living, and when it's not living, it's it's just it's evocative. When it's not when it's not living, it's evocative. Exactly. Well, Farrell, are we doing are um, we doing impressions now? Is that one of our new man? I'm looking up one star reviews for this book, and it is a downer. Uh-oh. Every Uh-oh. you know, what's really funny about this. <laughs> Sorry to cut ahead here. Every mm-hmm. one star review starts with an apology for it being a one star uh, review. Yes! Oh, Every okay. single we- one. <laughs> Hey, I'm really sorry to tear this book to shreds, but uh, I just didn't like it. So sorry. uh, Stupid and bad. Sorry about your cancer story. Oh, man. Is this just a cancer story book, Ian? Give us the 30 seconds. Yes, this is a cancer story. Give us the 30 seconds here. Yep. In 2013, Paul Kalnithi is 35 years old. um, And in his last year of his neurosurgery residency at Stanford, he's a doctor and he's a neurosurgeon and he's a good neurosurgeon. And he realizes he hasn't been feeling well. He's been losing weight. He starts having severe back and chest pains. He thinks it might be cancer, but he's like, that's super unlikely. And I took an x-ray and I had a checkup and it returned normal. So I think it's just like this insane last year of school. Two years later, he's dead. Uh, spoiler alert of cancer. Um, when Breath Becomes Air, this memoir collects his final reflections Holy of a dying world class neurosurgeon. It deals with a lot of things, but the big center question at the middle of it is what's the meaning of all this, right? Like, what gives life value? <laughs> Can I just read you the first sentence of all these one-star reviews? Yeah, yeah. Just, I'm, gonna, I'm very I'm gonna, sorry. I haven't read any of these yet. All right. Uh-huh. Uh, here, first sentence. First couple words here. Uh, from Julie. Please don't judge me for this. <laughs> from Samantha. <laughs> Maybe I'm heartless for not being moved by this. From Gary. I couldn't finish this. It's me rather than Dr. Ken- whatever his name is. I don't know how to pronounce mm-hmm. it. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, let's. 
boring, pretentious, overrated. Oh. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it seems uh, that's crazy. I can't think of too many books um, that are written by people in their final days. So, well, and I think that's like the special, like one of the special things that this book brings. It's like, first of all, these are his pretty legitimate final reflections, right? Like yeah. once he learns he has cancer to the time he dies, he's got about two years There's, exactly to live. Wow. What year is this, Joe? That uh, diagnosed in 2013, dead by 2015. Very so recent. He, okay. he missed out on the 2016 presidential election. That also crossed uh, my mind while I was uh, reading this book. This, yes. None <laughs> of the one-star reviews talk about how lucky he was. <laughs> <laughs> he died in a less polarized America. Uh, does it end? I, I'm sorry to, to, to quote the one-star reviews. I'm sorry about this, but um, does it end mm. with? Uh, okay. No, that's not funny. Uh, that's good. Monty Python joke. That's funny. Of course it's funny. It's classic. The um, missed opportunity. But you know, those doctors, they're not really, they don't have the funny bone, you know? They've got to take it out. <laughs> Funny about Octomy. There's something about this kind of book that's just, I'm really drawn to them. This is actually like one of the first things I put, I put down, right? Like, I don't know why I'm drawn to books about people dying and books like about like the death process, but they're just like popcorn for me. Oh. Um, a long time ago on the show, I brought being mortal, which is kind of a long examination of this same sort of thing. I think of Tuesdays with Maury. I think a lot of people think of it as like kind of this hokey thing that was very of its moment. I think of it as kind of a really sweet classic that everybody should read, right? Like, like books about people going through the dying process, I think are fascinating. Give me a book about dying and I'm just kind of there. Yeah. And you find Joe Holshue. <laughs> there I am. Oh, there's Joe waiting for you. <laughs> All right, Joe, what's this book about? It's pretty straightforward. Um, it is a memoir. It is a memoir in which um, in which Paul Kalanithi goes all the way back to his childhood um, and briefly talks about what it was like growing up in in the town that he grew up in, going to college. But it's mostly about him becoming a neurosurgeon, meeting his wife and getting a cancer diagnosis, right? Like if this book is 250 pages long, which is about what it is, I would say there's about 50 pages that deal with his life before he's a doctor. And the rest of the book is, and then I was a kind of a world-class neurosurgeon and then I got cancer. So I have a question, Joe, Do, and this is partly style and this is partly origin, textual origin. Was he writing this to be published? Was he writing this because he's like, yeah, like a dude, I know I'm going and I want to have some record and I want to share this with the world. Or is this he was like frantically typing at 430 every morning and then after he passed, his wife like sold it like what what's what's the what's the sort of tone yeah nope he he very much want he very much like intended this to be published okay um, okay he when when he got his cancer diagnosis, it was actually kind of interesting. He talks about um, Ian. You you talked earlier about the. Or I'm sorry, last week you talked about this phrase that you made up, which is like the momentous normal. That's is right. that what you called it? That's right. The the momentous normal. He talks for a little bit about when he actually receives his cancer diagnosis and when he realizes pretty early on this is going to be fatal. Right, like this type of cancer is going to kill me. He talks about, oh, this thing, this curve, uh, this th thing called a Kaplan-Meier curve. And all a Kaplan-Meier curve is, is, hey, we've taken everybody with your statistics, your age, 
your kind of cancer, your whatever, your whatever, whatever. And we've plotted them on a graph. Right. And we can tell you that you are going to die between six months from now and 20 years from now. Right. And this is the long tail. The way meteorology works. They look at all the times that this specific weather pattern has happened before. And they say, we don't know. In 95 percent of these situations, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, this is the, the weather outcome. Yeah. Okay. That's exactly it. And here he has this like kind of strange moment because he gets a cancer diagnosis. He knows he will die from it. And he knows that the the prognosis is literally between like six months and 10 years, right? Like that's when he's going to die with with the long tail kind of tailing off towards 10 years. And he said, in some ways, when you get your cancer diagnosis, everything changes, right? Like your entire world changes. But in a lot of ways, it doesn't. He says, before my cancer diagnosis, I knew I was going to die. I just didn't know when. Now I have a cancer diagnosis. I know I'm going to die, but I still don't know when. And he said, if I have 10 years left, I'm going to be a neurosurgeon. Sure. Right? Like, I'm going to continue. I'm going to finish my residency. I'm going to go back into the surgery theater. I'm going to like make the best out of these next 10 years that I can. He's like, if I have six months left, I'm going to spend it with my wife and, and whatever. And if I have two years left, I'm going to write a book. Right. And, and he, he like explicitly mm. says those things. So for the first year after he gets his diagnosis, he he kind of goes in, he starts doing some treatments that seem like they're pretty effective. He actually goes back to neurosurgery at one point, right? He's like, it looks good. It looks like I'm going to be like around for a while. And then he has a huge setback and he's like, Ooh, time to write that book. (laughs) So that this, this book is written mostly over the final year of his life. What's his message? Like, what's he trying to the overt message. Not even. Um, I, I'm sure the whole book is overt, right? Like I'm yeah, guessing if you. Yep. <laughs> I'm yeah, guessing there's not there's, a lot of subtext. There's in no this time book. for subtlety, right? <laughs> uh, as we laugh uncomfortably. Um, <laughs> what? Uh, okay. So what? What? What is he trying to say? What's his message, Joe? Because it's. Yeah. I, I want to know what a, a dying person has to say. I would yeah. also like to talk to more old people. I feel like mm-hmm. we should all be talking to more old people. Keep going, well, Joe. You have that opportunity. This is true. <laughs> um, his message is explicitly when he sets out at the beginning of this book is one of the things I want to try to do with this book is try to figure out what we're all trying to figure out all the time, which is what's the meaning of all this, okay. right? Like, what are we here to do? What's, what's the purpose of, of being here on earth? Right. Um, and the answers aren't particularly particularly surprising. I think they're the sorts of things that any of the three of us or any of the wise lit heads would talk about if we were asked this question where it's, oh, the meaning seems to be connection with one another. The meaning seems to be to leave the world a little better. The meaning seems to be love. It was love all along, right? Like those are the answers, but kind of like Ian talking about like the momentous normal, right? Like it's, it's this thing that a lot of people arrive at, but the way he describes it is genuinely pretty interesting and pretty beautiful. And like his role as a neurosurgeon gives him kind of a unique insight into the dying process. And there's a lot of kind of interesting layers in this book. Like what? He talks about being a neurosurgeon as a, as, as a calling that won't surprise you. But the way he talks about neurosurgery is a way that I've never really heard other people talk about jobs where he says pretty early on in my med, in my medical residency, I was, in the surgery theater and we were doing like things with people's brains and you realize that say you're removing a tumor off a brain stem, 
He's like, the difference between you essentially healing this person or giving this person like back their normal life, Mm -hmm. right? And the difference between you paralyzing this person or making it so that this person can no longer retain long-term memories or something like that. Sure. He says, the difference between those two things is a millimeter, right? right? Right. Like is a millimeter with your hand and your scalpel. And he says, very early on in my surgery residency, I realized that the difference between like me being not a good neurosurgeon, but an outstanding neurosurgeon, like excellent neurosurgeon, it was a moral responsibility, right? Like if I was going to do this, I had to be really effing good at it, right? Hmm. And, and talks about that process. Is there, uh, I have a question. Um, yeah. Because I'm not sure I'm wrapping my head around this because I, I guess mm. I'm assuming this book has more value than just being like, oh, I wonder what a dying person right. has to say in his last, yeah. with somebody who knows he's dying. Is he, is, okay, you talk about like the quality of being a surgeon. Sure. Is is this book about him finding what the important things are in life? Or is this book mm-hmm. about his just point of view in life or, mm-hmm. or would where this there's book, value? Would this book yeah. hit as well if he were like middle management at Target Corporation? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, good question. No, it won't. Right. right. Like, I think I knew how to answer that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, part of the part of the value of this book is like the, the interesting insights that he gives into the medical process in some ways. Right. Okay. Like, you know, like where it's like, OK, I'm in this world. I'm kind of a big wheel in this world. Right. When I got my cancer diagnosis, I had access to the finest cancer doctors on this planet, like literally the finest cancer doctors on this planet. And this is what we, this is what we did. This is how we treated it. This is how we talked about it. I was in a weird situation or a unique situation. He kind of says, we're like during this cancer like thing, I was also kind of my doctor. Like I had this amazing cancer specialist, right? But like we kind of collaborated over my treatment. There's actually a super touching um, moment. I thought it was sweet where he has this cancer doctor who's like a world-class cancer doctor and she's amazing and she's awesome. And they're collaborating over her treatment. And she says to him, she's like, look, you're an amazing doctor, right? And, and like, you want to be part of like this, your, your treatment and like the, like you want to be part of collaborating over how you get treated. And she's like, and that makes sense. And I get it. And I'm happy to have you. But I also want you to know that if you ever just want to be a patient, I'm happy to do that too. Like, like, like I'm happy to just totally take over. And at first he's like, oh, that was kind of sweet. And then he gets to a point where like things get really hard and he gets really sick. And he's like, yeah, you know what? I, I just kind of want to be a patient right now. And it's like right. this moment of like surrendering and yeah. Wow. Is this a, a book about how to cope with these difficult things or is this a book about um kind of one guy's story yeah like can can we can we generalize from this i don't think there's a less version yeah, yeah there is a i'm sure it could it, inadvertently it, right yeah it, it of course can be read a couple of ways here um one second dogs leave it hey get 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 they're fighting <laughs> go away all right this is all staying in so this book is told like it's very much presented as his story there are coping things with it he has he he's a very like rational coper with it right like he very much like approaches this yeah he's very pragmatic about it you know they do things that like he talks a lot about um you know how much while if okay if i do this super invasive treatment how much quality time will i have left Uh oh 
yeah, not much. I'm not going to do that super invasive right. treatment. The One of the interesting things, though, in this book is you do get to see how the people around him cope with this. Um, he's married. He has a wife. They're kind of waiting until he finishes his medical residency in order to start their family. They're 35 years old at this time, mm-hmm. right? She's also a, she's also a badass doctor. They met at Yale Medical School. They're both in California doing their residencies, right? Like they're kind of this badass couple. And all of a sudden he gets this cancer diagnosis when they're at the threshold of the life that they're planning together and they have to sort that out together. And one of the ways that they sort that out, and this might seem crazy, but it makes sense in the book is they have a kid, right? Like he knows he's going to die. And she's like, I, I really want a kid. And this is our chance. And they have a kid together in the last two years of his life. So he dies with like a 10 month old at home. Yeah, it's, it's wild. So it's a lot of stuff like that. Um, the last section of this book, Ian, you asked, like, does this book end with him going, uh, at the end? I did he ask. Does, hilarious, by the way, Ian. Really very funny. He does die <laughs> during, like, the writing of this book. When he dies, this book is not finished oh, in any way, okay. right? His wife finishes it. His wife writes the last third of this book from her point of view, like her reflection Whoa. on the whole thing, how she copes Man, with it. you should have brought that up when Ian asked about it. <laughs> well, I thought it would come up later. Yeah. <laughs> and it has. And, and that part, in a lot of ways, is like the most touching and poignant part of this entire book. It, it book it's a book with a lot of layers i i like it a ton there's like great like funny cadaver stuff in here Obviously. a few weeks ago ian brought the book like <laughs> stiff and we talked about cadavers and one of the things that was interesting is he talks about um when you go to medical school you get your own cadaver like you get a oh. dead body that is yours like at hogwarts you get a wand <laughs> yeah <laughs> when you're a surgeon you get a body and they talk about how they treat these bodies and like how when you learn CPR on these bodies, he's like, we've all learned CPR before. We're all like medical residents. But the first time you do a CPR on a cadaver and all the residents are doing CPR and you can hear all the ribs cracking in the room, like breaking, he's like, that hits a little bit different. He talks about like bone sign. And one of the things he says, we talked about uh, last week or when Ian brought the book stiff, we talked about, um, would you donate your body to medical science? He's like, most doctors I know, the most informed people on this, Uh-oh. do not donate their bodies to medical science. Right, because they've seen it. <laughs> right, they've seen how the sausage is made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but didn't that come That's up it. in uh, what was the other? That, didn't that stiff. come up in yeah. stiff too? Yeah, yeah about stiff. how uh, yeah. you're gonna get like shot out of a rocket. <laughs> you donate your body. <laughs> you're gonna be a crash test dummy. Yeah. <laughs> It sounds it sounds like so. So Joe's or sorry, Nick's question a while ago was was about like his perspective. And it sounds like I, I may be cheapen that a little bit by, by making a crack about target middle management. But no doubt um, he's he has the unique perspective, not just of being a physician and having that mm-hmm. sort of psychological um, profile, but also um, having treated people. So there's like yes. a role reversal, right? Like like mm-hmm. he is someone who he who is a carer and yes. now he transitions to it, it it sounds like a difficult transition to being cared for like that that's a it's a it's a very it's a fascinating character arc it's it's a really interesting character arc and and it's um just thrown into sharp contrast by the fact that he is getting treated in the same hospital that he is a that he's a surgeon in, right? Ooh. So like the recovery rooms that he's sitting in after his surgeries are the same recovery rooms that he's been consulting with patients in, right? And Damn. you really do get the opposite end of the mirror. 
I didn't do a Tiffany's last week, but I want to hear Joe's Tiffany's on this one. Yeah, Joe, welcome to Tiffany's. Tiffany's Get nasty with it, you You piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, make sure you apologize for every mean thing you say. Tear apart this dying man and his beautiful wife and uh, young small child's um, Uh entire story here. When I when I picked up this book, I I kind of knew what the premise of it was, right? However, I did not think that the neurosurgeon that was dying was going to be my age. Right. Like, like I thought this was going to be an like old, an old man, like an old man who had accrued a life's worth of wisdom. Right. In a lot of ways, I feel like this guy, he he shares wisdom. He shares his experiences. But in a lot of ways, I'm like, I don't know that he has more wisdom than I have. Oh. Right. Like, I feel like this is all stuff I know. I'm just not dying. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. Wow. Well, but, but that's that's really interesting because because the fact that he is dying and the fact that it's, it, that it's published posthumously means that well, like we we can't you know we can't argue. Yeah. He he. Yeah. Of course he does. And then the fact that it's a memoir is a lot of like the the negative reviews that I read for it were just like, hey, like this guy is. One of the ones that I really liked is they said, um, this is a memoir about how rich people die. Just so you know, he's he's like, your death will not be like this. Mm. It will not be so clean. You will not have this level of treatment. Like this is a memoir of how rich people die. And then the other weird thing in this is this guy is hyper accomplished. Mm. This guy like went to Stanford undergraduate, went to Yale medical school, went back to Stanford for his residency. And when he's finishing up his residency, he has people approaching him and they're just like, Hey, just so you know, we're starting a research lab at like here at Stanford. And we are basically designing this multi-million dollar lab for you to run it. Like we can't promise you the job, but we want you really want you to apply for the job. Like this is a guy who's superhuman in a lot of ways and it's weird because it's a first person account of his superhumanness often so like there's just these moments where you're like ah, you seem like kind of an asshole <laughs> like, like just kind of Yikes. amazing um truly incredible tiffany's yet again joe um <laughs> all right ian Ian, wrap it up. Okay. Uh, Leadheads, if you want your breath to become air, you <laughs> know what that means. I regret that as soon as I said it. Um, you can uh, you can support the show by liking us and subscribing and sharing and whatnot on social media. We're on all the ones that matter and several of the ones that don't. You that can don't, also yeah. Soon to be head banned. over to our website, You Don't Know Lit Podcast. That's spelled P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. And like a uh, like a book, you can like a book. You can share a book that you want us to read. <laughs> you can share. Do a you theme. like book? <laughs> Do you like book? Uh, you could say uh, suggest a sticker. <laughs> any number of ridiculous. Wow, things. any number of ways to talk. I need more coffee. Um, the the best thing you can do, Leadheads, is share the podcast with a bookish friend, preferably one who isn't about to pass on. We want our mm-hmm. Leadheads to stick around for a nice long time. But you know, if, right. if all of your a few episodes. Are, if all of your friends are expiring, that's fine too. You guys are monsters. <laughs> Congratulations <laughs> to Breath and to Air this week. Awesome. All right. I've got a quote from his wife's section of the book when she's kind of reflecting on the whole experience. Um, yeah. She says, I visit his grave often, taking a small bottle of Badira, the wine of our honeymoon destination. Each time I pour some out on the grass for Paul. 
When Paul's parents and brothers are with me, we talk and I rub the grass like it's Paul's hair. Katie visits his grave, for that, his grave, that's her their daughter, before her nap lying on a blanket watching the clouds pass overhead and grabbing the flowers we've laid down. The evening before Paul's memorial service, our siblings and I gathered, gathered with 20 of Paul's oldest, closest friends, and I wondered briefly if we'd mar the grass because we poured out so much whiskey. Often I return to the grave after leaving flowers, tulips, lilies, carnations, to find the heads eaten off by deer. It's just as good a use for flowers as any, and one Paul would have liked. The earth is quickly turned over by worms, the process of nature marching on, reminding me of what Paul saw, and now I carry deep in my bones too. The inextricability of life and death, and the ability to cope to find meaning despite this, because of this. What happened to Paul was tragic, but he was not a tragedy. I expected to feel only empty and heartbroken after Paul died. It never occurred to me that you could love someone the same way after he was gone, that I would continue to feel such love and gratitude along the terrible sorrow, the grief so heavy at times that I shiver and moan under the weight of it. Paul is gone and I miss him acutely nearly every moment, but somehow I feel like I'm still taking part in the life we created together. Bereavement is not the truncation of married love, C.S. Lewis wrote, but it is one of its regular phases, like the honeymoon. What we want to, what we want is to live our marriage well and faithfully through that place too. Caring for our daughter, nurturing relationships with my family, publishing this book, pursuing meaningful work, visiting Paul's grave, grieving and honoring him, persisting. My life goes on. My love goes on, lives on in a way I never expected. She should have wrote the book. That was amazing. The one thing I didn't say is it's a beautifully written book. They're both killer writers. Wow. So that's moving. Yeah, both killer writers. Turns out being intelligent is really uh, impacts a lot of aspects of your life. It's just like a cheat code for <laughs> life. Too bad. Too bad. None of us will ever experience that. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> All right. All right later, guys. Uh, boners. <laughs> yep.